Our society faces complex issues like abortion, questions about biotechnology, medical treatments, and many end-of-life issues. How does our biblical worldview relate to these topics? Find out on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here today with co-host Joseph Kerr, and we have an important program for you today. Attorney and award-winning author Wesley J. Smith is a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, a consultant to the Patients' Rights Council, and a special consultant to the Center for Bioethics and Culture. He is a contributing writer to many publications, including the USA Today and National Review. He has authored many books, including The War on Humans, and we'll talk more about these issues today on A View from the Wall. Welcome, Wesley. Thank you very much. Is the view from the wall the Alamo? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be fun? No, this is the spiritual theme we talk about from Ezekiel about being watchers on the wall, looking at what's going on in our world today and speaking from a biblical perspective on those issues. So I appreciate you giving us an opportunity to talk about that issue from the start for those who are joining us perhaps for the first time. But we're excited to have you here with us today. We want to dive right into some of these topics. And I want to start where people are because many people may not even know what human exceptionalism is. Explain that for our audience today as we get started here. Sure. Thank you very much. Um, We at the uh, Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism kind of call it where human rights meet human responsibilities. Nice. The concept, uh, I don't know if I coined it, but I've certainly been trying to popularize it, deals with two different aspects of human life. One is our inestimable you know, infinite moral worth as human beings, equal moral worth. Every human being has equal moral worth simply and merely because they're human. The second issue has to do with our duties and responsibilities, because sometimes people will say, well, why don't you just talk about sanctity of life? Well, certainly sanctity of life is part of human exceptionalism, but that isn't it. That isn't all. We are also moral species. That is, we have duties. We have duties to each other. We have duties to our posterity. Uh, You know, when the founders of the United States talked about their posterity, they were referring to us, and they saw themselves as having a duty to us. We have duties to treat animals humanely, which is probably beyond our scope today, but that's not the same thing as animal rights, which is an ideology that says that human beings and animals have the same moral worth, which we don't. We have duties to steward the the environment, which isn't the same thing as radical environmentalism, which seeks to impose a a regime of nature rights on society. That is where geological features have human type rights. And, And perhaps we can talk about that on another show. But human exceptionalism then deals with both our value and our obligations as a moral being. We don't have time to discuss all of the questions that we could go into today. This program would have to be four hours long. But what are a few of the top topics and discussions and debates in the bioethics and human exceptionalism arena right now? For me, uh, in terms of bioethics, uh, there are a couple. Uh, Assisted suicide and euthanasia is a huge one. And how uh, that is spreading around the world like a cancer. 
And then another one that is perhaps even more uh, immediate is what is known as medical conscience. The idea here is that many in mainstream bioethics want to force all medical professionals to participate in uh, life-taking actions or actions that they think are morally wrong or which violate their religious beliefs. Let me give you a couple of examples. Ezekiel Emanuel, who is probably the most prominent bioethicist in the country, he was the prime architect of the Affordable Care Act, which is sometimes called Obamacare. He is a major uh, health uh, bioethics and health advisor to President Biden. He wrote in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is the most prominent medical journal in the world, that doctors should be required to perform abortions if asked. Uh, and if they don't want to perform these abortions or find an abortionist uh, to do it, if they have an objection, they should get out of medicine. This is an example of medical conscience. That is, forcing doctors, nurses, pharmacists to perform very controversial interventions, even if they take human life, as long as that is what the patient wants and it is legal and would do what the patient seeks. Another example in the medical conscience field is uh, hospitals being sued, uh, Catholic hospitals in particular, because they refuse to participate in transgender transition surgeries. There's one case in California called Dignity Health. It's out of Sacramento. And a um, transgendered woman, that is a biological man, wanted a hysterectomy to complete the transition that this person wanted and scheduled it at this Catholic hospital and then let the Catholic hospital know what was happening. And the Catholic hospital said no. They did it because under Catholic moral theory, you cannot remove a healthy organ. In other words, to remove an organ, there has to be a pathology. For example, a, a cancerous uterus, a hysterectomy would, of course, be appropriate, but not a healthy uterus for any reason. So if a woman just wanted a hysterectomy so she wouldn't have a baby, the Catholic hospital wouldn't do that either. The second is you cannot sterilize a patient. And so this biological woman wanted a hysterectomy as part of the transition, uh, the hospital wouldn't do it. And California courts are permitting that hospital to be sued and for that case to go to the jury based on discrimination. This is a true medical conscience issue and it's a true religious freedom issue. And I think medical conscience is, is not only one of the primary bioethical issues facing us, but one of the most important free exercise of religion issues facing the country. Yes, and for those listening, you can see why this is such a controversial issue, both for our First Amendment rights as Americans, as well as for our biblical beliefs. You're listening to A View from the Wall. Stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment. From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. In Psalm 143, verse 8, David prays, God, help me see your loving kindness in the morning. I noticed that David did not question whether or not God's loving kindness was there. He just asked God to help him be able to see it. Like David, ask God to help you see the good things he's doing for you and through you and all around you. And consider this, some read the headlines and think things in this world are falling apart, but a wise man said, things are not falling apart, things are falling into place. 
Watchmen, ask Jesus to help you see his goodness and ask for help to see the signs that announce his coming. And when you do, scripture says, look up and know the day of your redemption draws near. Be bold, be faithful, be a watchman. Iamawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As we continue our conversation with Wesley J. Smith on the case for human exceptionalism, we have much to cover about the many bioethics issues of our time. There was a time where much of this was speculation. You didn't really have the choice on many of these issues, but medical technology has begun to change all that. Why don't you give us some examples of the medical and biotech breakthroughs that could have some negative or positive implications regarding our discussion today? Sure. Uh, you know, it used to be that when I would discuss these issues, people would yell, slippery slope, slippery slope. Right. And my response is now, facts on the ground, facts on the ground. Whether you're talking about euthanasia, whether you're talking about some of the reproductive technologies, you're now beginning to see some of the things that people warned about, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago, coming into actual practice. With regard to reproductive technologies, we've already seen the birth of the first genetically engineered babies. This happened in China. There's a very powerful uh, biotechnological tool called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. I won't tell you what it stands for because it's a lot of big words. But what it does is it permits any organism, any cell, to be genetically modified quite easily and quite efficiently. It's actually perhaps the most powerful technology since the splitting of the atom. And yet there's actually no binding regulations that kind of keep the CRISPR, which can do a tremendous amount of good. For example, if you could do some genetic engineering to get rid of genetic diseases in a somatic cell for somebody, that would be terrific. But what if you want to use it for eugenics and babies and, and that uh, pass various, um, let's say, enhancements down the generations? You could do that, too. You know, we've just been through a terrible pandemic. With CRISPR, you can actually edit viruses to make them more lethal. You know, that's not what happened, we don't believe, with regard to the COVID problem, but it could. And you could see the, the incredible danger here, as well as the tremendous potential benefit. And yet we do not have the capacity, apparently, as an international society to regulate this field and the research. It's all based on voluntary guidelines. Well, voluntary guidelines are worth the paper it's written on. That is what led to the birth of two babies in China. China is the country where science ethics goes to die. Uh, and uh, these two babies had a gene knocked out that uh, may have an implication in terms of catching HIV. But that didn't do anything for these babies. Uh, it actually was just uh, an experiment, an ego, a hubristic uh, experience. And the scientist was uh, actually put in jail over it. But let me tell you something. I've been doing some research and I'm writing an article the Chinese authorities knew what was going on. They just got embarrassed by the outcry. But the bioethicists that created the outcry didn't do so because of what was done. That is this germline genetic engineering that will then pass down the generations if these two babies have children. They were upset about the timing, that people got upset before they were able to say, well, don't worry, we've got it all under control. They don't have it under control and they won't have it under control. The only way to have any hope of keeping uh, CRISPR and other biotechnologies within proper parameters 
aren't binding regulations. And right now, there seems to be no willpower uh, for that to take place. Let's ask a couple of difficult questions here and just let you answer this from a Christian worldview perspective, because we have the technology now to make it possible for parents expecting to have a test done and say, your child has a predisposition toward this illness or Down syndrome or any number of other things, including physical deformities and things like that. And now it's possible with some of the technology referenced to even determine what the sex of the baby is going to be much earlier than we could even just 20 years ago. So what's wrong with a parent in that situation making a decision of everything from I don't want to have a baby with Down syndrome to I don't want to have a boy, we want to have a girl. What's wrong with that? Well, you're talking about eugenics, and this is a new eugenics with very sharp teeth. Your listeners probably know that the original eugenics, uh, uh, which means good in birth, uh, sought to elevate the, quote, quality, close quote, of the human race. And they did that through a very uh, blunt and and, um, cruel uh, approach, which was involuntary sterilization of people deemed unfit, quote, unquote, unfit. Uh, and that um, in uh, Germany, that actually led to infanticide of babies born with disabilities, that thinking. A lot of people think, well, the Nazis did the infanticide in Germany. No, that was eugenics. The, that, w- that was being proposed long before the Nazis came to power. Uh, that was the problem of eugenics. And um, eugenics kind of disappeared, and it should, because it totally denies human exceptionalism. It denies human equality. It says that some people have traits that are better than other people's traits. It it says that some people are superior to others. But now with some of these techniques, we see eugenics making a comeback. Sex selection alone just is, is one example. You know, if you say, well, I only want a boy or a girl and I'm going to actually take action, I'm going to make embryos through IVF, in vitro fertilization, I'm going to then take a cell from from one of, from each of those embryos, and I'm going to find what sex these uh, babies will be, and I'm going to throw out the ones that are the sex I don't want. One, you've created human life in an instrumental way uh, for an instrumental purpose, that is to have a particular sex. Two, you've destroyed human life, even though it's nascent human life, and that is a that is a morally burdensome thing, in my opinion. And three, you're saying that. Uh, you don't really want to have a child in terms of unconditional love, but that you have particular designs in mind, which would be the same thing probably even more so with, let's say, human cloning, which has now also been accomplished uh, in laboratories. Human cloned embryos have been created. They have not been implanted for birth, but they could have been. Uh, And yet here these uh, embryos are created uh, for the purposes of experimentation. You will have the idea of uh, a down child, which is, of course, understandable, but you are we now see about a 90% abortion rate for children with Down syndrome. And these are the most loving, caring individuals you'll ever meet, children with Down syndrome. The idea that we would wipe those gentle, sweet people off the face of the earth, which is a eugenics enterprise, is really appalling. Well, that's so well said. I think many of our listeners would be shocked to understand that you're talking about 90% of those diagnosed as having Down syndrome, and this kind of test would be aborted 
And uh, as Christians, we look at that as being unthinkable, but it's a major part of the discussion today when we talk about some of these issues related to human exceptionalism. When we come back, we're going to talk more about these applications to our Christian life, so stick with us here on A View from the Wall. Jesus is coming again in an event known as the Rapture. You may be ready, but are your friends and family spiritually prepared for the coming of the Lord? We've created a new resource to help you help them. It's called the Rapture Kit. Rapture Kits are designed to help believers reach out to those lost before the Rapture and provide spiritual and practical information for those still here afterwards. Included in the Rapture Kit is a wealth of information on what the Rapture is and how to prepare for what is to come. The Rapture Kit also includes several Bibles, eBooks, audio and video sermons on prophecy, apologetics, the Christian walk and discipleship material, all preloaded on a 32 gigabyte flash drive. Warn the lost about the coming Rapture and help individuals in the post-Rapture world be drawn to Christ, equipping them to become the next generation of Christ followers and ministry leaders. Learn more and order at rapturekit.org. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. In our conversation with Wesley J. Smith in this segment, we want to continue our discussion about some of the issues related to human exceptionalism, specifically as it relates to applications in our Christian lives today. For example, modern society values the temporary, the here and now, but as Christians, we talk about living life with an eternal perspective from a biblical point of view. Today, we're picking and choosing our children, our babies, based on gender, based on predisposed uh, sicknesses or illnesses or disabilities they may have before they are even born out of the womb and other issues related to that. Where are some of the concerns about where this could lead, Wesley? It it could lead to the instrumentalizing of human life and human inequality. Uh, Rather than equal human rights, unequal rights. There are many in bioethics uh, who say that human life does not matter simply and merely because it is human, that what matters are capacities. Uh, They will call this being a, quote, person, close quote. And therefore, they decide that the capacities that matter are, for example, being self-aware over time, being able to enjoy your own life, and so forth. So there's such a thing in this view as the human non-person. Who are these so-called human non-persons? All unborn life, embryos, fetuses. Embryos and fetuses are not able to be self-aware over time. They're not conscious. Uh, They're not able to enjoy their own life in that sense, but neither are newborn infants. Newborn infants have not yet developed a maturation to uh, to be able to to do that. And also people can lose those capacities, people who have brain injuries, for example. And so you see advocacy not only for abortion in bioethics, but in active infanticide, killing of babies, that if the child is born that does not meet the uh, parent's desires or would cause more suffering than happiness, there are many like Peter Singer from Princeton University and others who say that infanticide, killing that baby, should be the same in terms of moral permissibility as abortion is now for many people. And people might say who are listening, well, that would never happen. Well, it is happening. It's happening in the Netherlands as part of their euthanasia program. In the Netherlands, under the Groningen Protocol, G-R-O-N-I-N-G-E-N, your listeners can look it up, that's a bureaucratic checklist about which babies can be killed in their bassinets with a lethal injection. And 
today in the Netherlands, babies born with disabilities or babies born with terminal illnesses are killed. And they are killed with no consequence at all uh, to the doctors who do it, which is why they wrote the Groningen Protocol. It's very public. You also see attacks on people with, let's say, dementia. In uh, the Netherlands, there's a case of a woman who had dementia, and, and you can write an advanced directive in the Netherlands and in Belgium and soon in Canada if you are diagnosed with Alzheimer's that says, when I become incapacitated, please kill me. Well, this woman wrote such an advanced directive in the Netherlands, but she said, I want to be the one who decides when. And the doctor kept asking her, do you want to die now? Do you want to die now? And the woman kept saying no. So one day the doctor went in, drugged her coffee. When the woman fell asleep, started to lethally inject her. The woman woke up, saw what was happening, and tried to fight to stay alive. The doctor had the family hold her down and finished dispatching her. This case went to court in the Netherlands. The judge threw out the case saying this doctor had good faith. And then the law was changed in the Netherlands to permit people with Alzheimer's who sign advanced directives to be drugged and for the doctors to decide when the killing should be done instead of the patient. This is really a, a tremendously disturbing idea that people with dementia are next to be targeted. We now take away food and water from people like Terry Shiva, who have a diagnosed serious cognitive disability, so they dehydrate to death. We will uh, assist the suicides of people with terminal illnesses. In places like the Netherlands and Belgium, they lethally inject elderly people who want to die because they're worried about future suffering of grief in case one of their partners dies. And, in, and now you have in bioethics, people actually advocating that caregivers be required to starve dementia patients to death, even if they ask for food, if they've signed an advance directive asking that that be done. This is a very insidious death cult, in my opinion, because it, it says that an increasingly number of people do not have lives worth living. And if those people say they want to die, rather than care for them, rather than provide for them, rather than love them, we should kill them. And that's a very, very uh, disturbing and immoral approach for any society. Wesley, we view human life just like you do. We believe that we are created in the image of God and as image bearers of God have inherent value as human beings. And that is why we have an eternity to look forward to. And in that, we have people who refer to themselves as watchmen, watchmen and women, people who look at the situation we're in right now. They see uh, the issues that we're discussing and they want to put those things and speak against them intelligently in a biblical context. Speak to our watchmen, give them some tools, tell them what they can say when they're dealing with these topics. You know, I, I think that dealing it in a biblical context is, is very important and well and good, but what if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't accept the biblical context? What if you say, you know, only God can take a life, and the person you're talking to says, I don't believe in God. It strikes me that as watchmen, and you're there to protect and save human lives, that uh, you need to also be able to discuss the issue from a more secular perspective. And I suggest that if you are in that kind of a conversation, as opposed to, let's say, a co-believer, where you would, you know, the Bible is filled with uh, verses uh, that 
uh, would oppose things like infanticide and abortion. In fact, one of the earliest Christian documents that we are aware of called the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, um, basically, that's an early Christian document, came out against infanticide, came out against abortion. So, you know, the, the idea of sanctity of life goes back as far as Christianity. But we're in a society that's going increasingly secular. And in fact, we're entering the anti-Christian era. And saving lives may require you to be with non-biblical approaches as well. And I think the uh, one thing that really does still uh, resonate with people, even if they don't accept a Christian uh, perspective, is universal human equality. And when you say that uh, somebody's suicidal, just as an example, and then we'll say, well, okay, well, we're going to give that person suicide prevention. And then that person says, oh, but I have cancer. And then you say, oh, oh, never mind. Let us hold your coat and here are your pills. You've made a very insidious statement about the value of that person with cancer. And so this entire project, the Culture of Death Project, across the board, whether it's early or late in, in life, pre-birth, uh, biotechnology, and so forth, when it is not steeped in the equal dignity of every human being, you have lost any capacity to have equal human rights and universal human rights because you're saying that the value of life is subjective instead of objective. So I urge people to, of course, be prepared in terms of biblical thought, but also be ready to talk to people who don't share that worldview because if you get them to open their eyes and see the threat, who knows? They might also see the importance of where you are coming from. It's such important information. I wish we had more time with you today, Wesley, but we are wrapping up quickly and want to give people information about where they could find out more about your work and what you do. Where should they go? Sure. Thanks very much. Go to the Discovery Institute, um, discovery.org, and look up the Human Exceptionalism Project, which I'm the chair of. I'm also on Twitter. I put all my articles uh, on Twitter, at the Wesley J. Smith, or on Facebook. And I look forward to uh, talking to you folks again. Great. Again, that's Wesley J. Smith. You can find out more at discovery.org or you can find out more at our website, IamAWatchman.com, where you can listen to this again, download it, and share it with others and get more information about our latest e-newsletter and more resources here on A View from the Wall. Thanks for being with us and join us next time here at A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.